Hi there, I want to welcome you to our podcast, going to try something new. This is Pastor Mike, and it's the Monday right after the Sunday that I preached this message, and I wanted to jump on real fast to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, This message was a a difficult one to preach because we're talking about doubt. Uh, This is kind of a part two message on asking God questions, and we believe that that's okay. But man, this one was tough. We're gonna, as you'll hear, we're gonna look at John, and John's in prison. If you know the end of John's story, it doesn't get better; it gets worse. He ends up being beheaded. And what I want to encourage you with before you even hear this is, we're gonna look at the tough things of in life and the questions that can come. Just finding comfort and relief, knowing that the victory that God promises, and He promises victory may or may not come on this side of eternity but our hope in our foundation of our victory is in jesus and that comes through an eternal relationship with him in eternity period and so the victory while yes i want that for us now it may not come it did not come for john as we'll learn but our ultimate hope is not in on this side of eternity. Also, just in this message, we had a, a bit of a different type of what I'll call an experiential worship time. And so it's referenced a little bit, and there's a, a, a story called the strawberry. And what we saw was what you won't see in this, but before the service was a, a video clip of a guy being chased by a tiger. And as he's being chased by the tiger, he kind of comes to a cliff's edge and he's hanging on a rope and it's 500 foot drop down below him. This is all animated. It's not real. And then there are mice that he's holding on to this rope on this cliff edge about ready to fall off, being chased by a tiger. And then there's these mice that are chewing on the rope. And in the middle of his desperation, he notices a strawberry right there on the cliff's edge. And oddly enough, he grabs it and he takes a bite of it eats it and says this is the greatest thing that I've ever tasted before which is really odd but in the middle of this man's desperation uh, danger all around um, he notices this this strawberry and so often in our times with God when there is chaos and pain and uncertainty and uh, being overwhelmed with a variety of things Um, this idea that God is right there in the middle. And so many times we can be so focused on the dangers, we miss the strawberry right in front of us. We miss God's presence, the fact that he's with us. Despite the pain, despite the hurt, despite the uncertainty and chaos, he's there. So uh, that's kind of leading up into this message. So I hope God will just comfort you in these times. And um, to me, again, difficult message, but I was so excited Uh, to preach this message because I do believe there's so much hope uh, despite what you're going through. And I pray that you are blessed by this message. I want to start with this question. Uh, Who or what do you have uh, trust issues? Who or what do you have trust issues? No pointing, all right? No pointing. But uh, if you want to just like shout some out, who do you have? trust issues with i'll kind of say what mine is auto mechanics i don't know anything about cars and how to fix them so anytime an auto mechanic says oh well you got to get this fixed i'm always like really do i need to because i don't know so i had trouble with that who do you, who do you have who are some of the things you have trouble uh trusting or what politicians no way what are you kidding me 
Contractors? Okay, yeah, trying to get something done and then are giving you a bid. I know this can be very triggering real bad. Someone's going to say pastor and I'm going to be like, that's it. Coming after you guys. Thought. Software programmers? Okay. Hackers? Anything else you want to do it off your chest? I mean, we can get me. Oh, uh, gophers? Gophers? School of administration? Okay. We're lapis to a lot of life. I guess you didn't know the Jesus at that time. We love you guys. We love the place. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, my family has some trust issues with me. Uh, we we went uh, on a family ski trip this year. We were kind of new to the skiing scene. We did the Buddy Hill at, at the Los Alamos uh, uh, Ski Hill this year. We were doing great, having an awesome time. Now, I haven't skied Los Alamos in a good 15 years or so, so I don't know my way around. And we're, we're like, hey, let's go to the top. We're doing so good. Let's do a family ride, thinking this is going to be wonderful. I'm, we get up to the top, and me and Jeremiah, we're riding together, and we ride up with some nice Los patron. Um, he's the third wheel in our thing, and so we're, we're talking with him on the way up, and we're like, hey, this is our first time up. Kind of don't know where we're going the river, and he goes, oh, yeah, just take Pussycat Trail all the way down. He's like, it's the easiest one way to go or whatever, but, you know, so I'm like, all right. So we get to the top. And I'm like, well, this guy says just go right over here, take this trail down. It's the easiest way down, which should be good. And Rita's like, well, that's a blue. And there's all these greens over here. Do you think? And I was like, no, he sends the easiest one to Scott. Go. Okay, so I'm just like blazing a trail over to this thing. It was a disaster, okay? I can't, I can't even say what all happened because I'll get in trouble. But it was bad, really bad. And all I have to say, I like it to lead uh, when on a ski hill or many things now. Because uh, it was a long time for us to get down that hill. Um, I don't know where we you had uh, trust issues to be a politicians, media, different things. We have have those uh, those areas, but also, uh, quite honestly, and, and where we're going to dive into a little bit more. What about when it comes to God? You know, it's one thing to be in church say, "Oh, I trust God, I trust Him," but then there's certain things that happen in life. Or certain areas of our life, loneliness, but originally, I don't know. And I think if we're being honest and real, we have those areas in our life where we struggle, or we have those moments where we truly question, realizing, is he, does he care? Does he know? Does he see? Can I trust you on these things? And I, this is, this sermon, this message is probably like part two from last week because last week we talked about Thomas and the resurrection scene and how he questioned God and we said it is okay to have questions about God. It is okay to have doubts and, and bring them to him because we believe in you and lead into those questions. You might on the other side of your questions, on the other side of your doubt, I believe is discovery. And so just keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, keep going. And so I, uh, today's kind of a part two. We're going to continue on that theme. We're going to redirect from the cross and the resurrection scene that we've been going to. We're going to hover in on, on, on John the Baptist. Listen, God is a mystery. No one here knows every single thing there is to know about God. There's always going to be an element of faith. So knowing that, I trust that he's good. I do know that about him. 
but there's some element of mystery. So there's always going to be some element of like, who are you? What's going on? And a question to go along with those things. I think that's the beauty of the relationship with God, but it can be frustrating. It can be frustrating when you are left in the dark, unknown, and you can't sense or feel. And in fact, that's kind of the title of today's message. If you want to write this down or the question that we're answering in this, uh, we're doing a journey series, is I don't always feel God. I don't always feel God. So the question is, is he rich? I don't feel him. I don't see him moving. Is he real? Kind of reminds me of summer camp. Seth said we're going to summer camp for Freedom Kids this year. Has anyone ever grown up, gone to a summer camp, or been a leader at a summer camp, be it teenagers or kids or something like that? Okay, all right. Summer camp, I love and loathe at the same time. As as a leader, uh, there's highs at summer camp, so, so just great moments where you meet new kids, you meet new leaders, and you have this amazing time of worship, and God speaks and he does things. I remember talking to kids where, man, kids got, they got saved. They gave their life to Christ. They overcame addictions or things that they needed to, to work out. Uh, people called into ministry and then you would see them the next year and God's just totally transformed and changed their life. And you just have these like mountaintop experiences. But at the same time, kind of at summer camps, I was at a leader. I was a leader for teenagers. And my first summer camp that I ever took to uh, teenagers to we get off the bus. I'm the leader. I'm getting things registered. Our kids are kind of getting into their bunks. And they're like, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike. And they're like, what's going on? And they're like, Mikey just took all his prescription meds. And I'm like, what? Yeah, he took them all for the week. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, call 911. Like, what call the parents immediately. Fortunately, he was sick. The dad goes, no, he's fine. He's just going to be, and this kid was a wild kid, right? Just, he goes, he's going to be real calm. Oh, wait, I was like, whoa, fantastic. This is awesome. Best news I've ever heard. All right. Uh, you have some of those moments where you're like just kind of scratching your head. Uh, summer camp, like uh, eating boiled hot dogs or something like that. Um, or just some of the bunks that you're staying in and someone's just snoring like crazy. You don't know the person, but you're like, hey, dude, you are like snoring like crazy. Um we would go to camp, and you would have these mountaintop experiences where you just really feel and sense the presence of God. You spend three or four days singing and worshiping, diving into the Word. You're with friends. They're doing the same thing. You're having conversations. It's no wonder that God speaks when he's there. As a youth leader, I would say, man, you could gain like six months worth of spiritual growth in one week of summer camp because of all the conversations and things you're having. It's amazing what God could do. But then you would go home. You have this time where you're there in the cabins in the woods and you're sensing God in his presence. And then you would go home to real life, to where family things are happening, school dramas happening, work things are happening. And where did God go? I don't feel him. I don't see him anymore. I don't hear him as much as what I wanted to back at camp when I did. And so is he real? Some of us fell in love with what I call boyfriend God. Boyfriend God. Thank you. I'll take it. Uh, boyfriend God. 
where I, I need to sense his presence or feel his presence. And if I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I could trust this guy. Listen, we've talked about, uh, different gods in this life. Bodyguard God who's supposed to protect us from all bad things. Bodyguard God doesn't exist in the Bible. Boyfriend God does not exist in the Bible. Never does God promise you're going to feel his presence or his nearness every moment, every second of every day for the rest of your life. He's promised to be there with us, but there are times when he feels near and we have those moments and we're like, oh, this is amazing, this is wrong. And then there's times when he feels totally silent in a way. And I don't know why. I don't know why. It's a mystery. But I do want to dispel this myth that boyfriend God is the God of Christianity. He is not. That is a false God. If you walked away from Christianity because you believed in boyfriend God, good, good, you should have walked away from that God because that God is not wreath. That is a false God. And so part of this journey series is talking about the highs and lows in life, the ups and downs in life. We're trying to figure out who is the God of Christianity and what does he have to say about these moments in life. Back to John, John the Baptist. Questioning, are you in the one? I had all these hopes and expectations of who I thought you were. You're not meeting them. And now questioning, are you the one? I think if you look at John the Baptist's story, some of the things that we know in his history, it kind of makes this question that he's asking even more tense. Because if you look at just the birth of John the Baptist, when he, with, with his birth story, he's in the Christmas story. In chapter 1 is when we find out that John the Baptist and Jesus are actually cousins. They're family. They're blood. And, and when, before John was born, an angel came and talked to his parents and prophesied about who John was going to be. This is what the angel said in Luke chapter 1. says, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Some subscholars think that's why he's called John the Baptist right there because of that verse. But it's it's not. Good. I'm glad some people are getting by Newber here, all right? Uh, it's a bad joke. I used to be Baptist, so I can crack on them, all right? Uh he, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. What an awesome promise that he obviously got to grow up with, saying this is what God says about you and what God's going to do through you in your life. This came at your birth. Then he starts living it out, and he becomes very successful in ministry. People from all over are starting to come to hear him preach out in the wilderness. It says this in Matthew chapter 3. But he's preaching to these guys, and he's, he's just on fire right now. He's like, someone's coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Watch the, 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 the intensity here. He's like, he's rep ready to separate the shaft from the wheat with his widowing fork. He's got her fork out, just ready to go to town, right? He's going to clean out. Then he's going to clean up the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn, 
but burning the shaft with a never-ending fire. I mean, it's hellfire and brimstone with John. He is confident in his calling. People are coming. People are getting baptized. He is seeing a lot of success in, in his ministry and what God called him to do. And then as he's doing this, here comes his cousin Jesus, and, and John's baptizing people, and Jesus gets baptized by John. So he has this incredible moment continuing in uh, chapter 3 of Matthew where it says, After the baptism, Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Question. Did John have any trouble believing who Jesus was on that day? No. He's had these wonderful promises. God has been faithful. And then he has this amazing trophy of a moment that any of us would be like, oh my gosh, let me just see what happened. I mean, we would just be in shock and in awe. No, he didn't have any trouble. Things were great in John's life until they weren't great anymore. He's now locked into a prison cell. He did everything right, by the way. He did everything that God told him to do. He followed God and led him to a prison cell where his life's now on the line. You know the end story with John, by the way. He gets beheaded. He doesn't get out. It goes from bad to worse for John in this situation. Before it goes to worse, he comes to Jesus and he says, man, I don't know. Because I'm looking around and I thought you were someone, but I don't know if you're the one. Are you? I think we've had those moments in our life. We're wondering if we're wasting our time here. I've been working hard. I've been doing all these things. John's having a WTF moment. Where is the fire? Where is the fork? You're supposed to be bringing judgment. You're supposed to be doing these things. You're supposed to be overtaking the government. I thought, I thought you were going to rule in this way or that way. WTF, where's the fork and fire? That's what I prophesied that you are going to do. When is it coming? Where is it at? I don't see it. Now I don't know if you're the one. Said last week that all of us have these moments and you see it everywhere in Scripture. Every story you see in Scripture comes down to this word trust. Do you trust God? Do they trust God? They have, a, they have this moment. A cup of Jesus moment. What's it going to be? And then trying to serve it. Is it true? Is this true? If it's true, you didn't have to ask the question, is it worth it? Because you may come to determination, no, this is true, but it is not worth it. I will not surrender to that. I will not give whatever is required to that. And, and he's, he's got that same moment. Do I trust him? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Is it true? Is it worth it? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should, it, should we be looking 
for somebody else. What a moment. What a question. What a question. Listen, if, you, if you're asking these questions, listen, I, I just a reminder today that it is, it is courageous to ask these questions. You are not less human. You are not less spiritual if you are asking these questions, thinking and asking. A couple of things, just a few practical things here. One, when you have these moments where you're questioning God, the natural tendency is to isolate. The natural tendency is to withdraw. And so that is a trap. He's in prison, not because of his choosing, all right? Somebody else chose that for him, but now he is isolated. When you are isolated, he is trapped in his own thoughts. He is trapped in his own head. He's like, I've heard the things that you've been doing. But now, when you are in isolation, it is a trap to start getting you thinking. So that's one thing you got to know. Practically, you start having these questions. Isolation is a trap. What does he do? He leans in to God. He goes to Jesus, which I would say, don't isolate. One of the things you need to do if you're asking questions, and it's okay to ask questions, don't isolate, lean into Jesus. Go to him, not away. Go talk directly to the source and talk to him. Have it out with him. He goes and he sends some guys. As, you know, he can't go directly to him, so he sends his guys to him. But then I will also underscore not only leading into Jesus, but lead into community. He, he takes his bots, his friends, whatever social dynamic he can have from prison, and he says, I need you, my buds, my people, my community, and we're going to do this thing together. I need you to go talk to Jesus. They go and they ask Jesus this, and Jesus says, go back and tell him what you have earned and seen. It's, it's in there too, the idea of community. Because Jesus knows the unseen for John. John doesn't know the unseen. John, Jesus knows he's not getting out. Jesus could have seen those disciples and said, hey, these guys are good guys. These guys I need on my team. John saw, gosh, I wish that wasn't happening, but you know what? God, just stay here with me. We're going to figure this thing out together. No, he knows John is seeking and searching. And he says, community, you guys go back to him. If you are in a season of questioning, if you are in a season of doubt and hurt, surround yourself with community of other people who can share the things that they are seeing. Go tell John what you have seen and heard. Hear the stories of what God is doing in other people's life. Let that be the encouragement. When you can't see God at work in your life, surround yourself with community to hear what God is doing in theirs because he's doing something. There's the strawberry the strawberry, we may not see it. Lean into God. Lean into community. Go back and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers, the leprosies are cured, the deaf is here, and the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. You know what's interesting about that 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 statement? He's quoting Isaiah, the prophet, which they all knew at the time as he was saying that they're like, oh, those prophecies from Isaiah written hundreds of years before they knew those quotes where they came from those are about the Messiah those are messianic prophecies so they all knew Jesus to say these things and not just saying these things to say it. he's like saying no I'm the one I'm the Messiah I'm quoting Isaiah's prophecy 
This is the scroll when Jesus rolled out the scroll in Luke chapter 4 and he reads his first sermon. He reads quotes out of Isaiah. This is out of Jesus' sermon. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is Jesus' first sermon, okay? We, we just heard him quote this back to John. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, there's, there's a few things happening there. You see, when he tells John, go see that the blind can see, that the good news is bringing, preached to the poor, what, what does he leave out to go tell John? What does he leave out? That the prisoners, if you go back to Luke chapter, go to Luke chapter 4. When he first preaches that sermon, he says the prisoners are going to be set free. John doesn't, John doesn't get that message coming back. The translation that is being here, put out here, Jesus is saying, John, I am the Messiah. But you're not getting out of prison. The message was clear. I am the one, but you're not getting out. John's going to have to wrestle with that. When, when God came seemingly could or should, I'm on your team, I'm doing all the right things, but it's not going to happen. I know for some of you, you are dealing with things in your life. Or there's been things in your past where God could have or should have, and he did it. And they're not even bad things. Some of you guys want things that are godly things, goodly things, good, God, good things, godly things. Seemingly, other people have is their grasp and so pleasing that God has from you, and you don't know why. And I, I leave saying, hey, lean into God with your question. Sing, ask, knock, hear Jesus saying, pray, pray, continually. keep praying. If every time you pray or pray enough for you, you're a servant like this, it just is like another night. It just brings up the hurt again. And you don't want to pray about it anymore. You don't want to seek. You don't want to ask because... Every time I do, I just have that feeling of hurt and rejection of where God just isn't going to do it anymore. And I'm tired and exhausted of him wanting to solve this issue, and he's not, and it hurts, and so we stop. It's like a slap in the face every time we bring it up. I get the pain, and I get the hurt, and I don't have a good answer as to why. As we said last week, why you can get stuck in your why. For the rest of your life, there's a what to keep going on. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go see in the wilderness? Was he a weak reed swayed by every wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live at palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he was more than a prophet. 
John is the man whom the scriptures refer and said, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare a way for you. I tell you the truth, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. In one of John's lowest moments in life, he's in prison suffering, questioning whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is like, in one of his lowest moments, he's the greatest. He's the great. It's a little bit confusing, that terminology that, that Jesus uses here. I'll try to unpack it quickly. He's saying that he's the greatest because of all the prophets. Like, John had this purpose. But he's like, look at, line up the Old Testament. All the prophets in the Old Testament, they were there preaching about the coming Messiah, pointing to a coming Savior. There was always prophesied that there was going to be one that would precede the Savior. One more prophet that was going to say, get ready, God's coming. Get to life Christ. God sees. He's about to. He's been here. Let's get right with God. That was John. He said, John is the greatest because he's going to fulfill all those things right before the Savior comes. He's the last one. Like, this is the pinnacle moment where God comes in with humanity. It's about to happen. So it's like one of the greatest moments. It's been anticipated from the very beginning, this moment, and it's happening right now. That's like the greatest moment. But then he goes back and says he's the least in the kingdom of heaven. That's confusing. What's going on? He's talking about this kingdom of heaven, Jesus. Jesus is ushering in this, this new way of a relationship with God where the old system and the old rules and the old laws. He's like, no, this is going to be a, co a new covenant. That's filled with grace. This kingdom of heaven that you're going to see ushered in is something new. And John's not going to see it. The people on the flip side of this thing are going to see who Jesus is. They're going to see what he's done in their life. John's going to, he's going to be continually wondering in anticipation. And this new king, you and I, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. We don't have to wonder. We can know. When we get into heaven, we're going to know. We won't be like in John's position. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm still wondering. I'm still trying to figure this out. We get to see the fulfillment of all the promises that were made in the Old Testament. That's what he's kind of unpacking here for John, here in these moments. As I was prepping this message, because I don't, I don't know all the, I don't know all your stories, and I, I would get to this, and I'm like, I just kept hitting a roadblock on the sermon, and I, it would just divert into like 20 different things. I'm like, what is going on? I don't know. So we're gonna, I want to settle in on this story. I had a friend of mine who was going through just a horrible patch in life. And this is several years ago, and they're just struggling and struggling and struggling. And sometimes when God speaks to you, sometimes he whispers a word or something like that. Sometimes he speaks to you through other people. Sometimes he's silent, but sometimes when he speaks, sometimes it's not a word. Sometimes it's more of a picture that kind of serves as a bit of a metaphor. And so as I was talking to this person, they said in that season of their life, 
that was just so many horrendous things. The cuts just coming quicker and fast and furious one after another. They questioned and cried out, God, where are you? I don't understand. They still held on to their faith, but they still had lots of questions. And God gave her a picture of a mountain. And in this picture, she was climbing this mountain. But as she was climbing this mountain, she, it was a struggle just to even make it up a step or a foot. Every time in the season, it was like just scratching and calling and finding. And I'm not talking about just for moments in a day or whatever. I mean, it was seasons and years of just every time I'm crying out to you, God, I just get this picture of this sense of me trying to climb this mountain that I can never make it to the top. And if I do, it's just this huge struggle. And she kept fighting. And she kept climbing. And she kept climbing. Eventually to one day, things started to kind of maneuver in a more settled pace, but the picture started to change. Her relationship with God in that season as she cried out to him and sought him really became intimate and close and real to where the picture in her dream that God gave her started to change. She was at the mountaintop now. She could, she could see not everything in her life was perfect, but this view that God was giving her was so grand and wonderful and the sense of his presence at the top was amazing. And she described it to me. She's like, I don't want to leave. I just want to stay right here on the mountaintop until she could hear a noise coming from the bottom of the mountain and started to change and develop again in, in a new season of her life. And the noise she heard started to scare her because the noises that she heard were screams, screams of terror, Screens of, uh, of, of horror, similar to the ones that she was screaming and letting go of when she was trying to climb to the mountain. And she began to realize there were other people on a similar journey that were going through similar circumstances. And as that scared her and she was on the mountaintop and she started to realize what was taking place, God gave her her next step. I'm calling you to go back down the mountain and help. There are other people down there. You've been through it and you need to go down there and help. That's where she's at on her journey. I don't know what dark moments you have been dealing with in your life. I don't know what you are screaming out to God for. I don't know what it feels like you're, you're clawing and scratching and not making any progress. But my heart these past two weeks to be able to look at these moments and not run away from them, but lean into them. I just, the, the, the message is just been, don't give up. God is with you. He is for you. He sees. And I know you may not feel God's 
present, but I promise you, if you don't give up, he's right there with you every step of the way. And I trust, I trust that he's good. I don't know why, but I trust that he's good. If you get to the mouth, I trust there's going to be other people who need your help. You're, you're, you're going to find that purpose in that pain. There's something greater on the other side of it. Do I wish the tragedy happened to you? Do I wish these things upon you? No, I don't. But I've seen enough times where God has used other people to help, help those who are in need. See, John was in prison, downing God. You're not in a physical prison today, but you are certainly in chains and in prison wondering. You have a spiritual enemy that wants no part of you knowing how God sees you, how God views you, how unchanged you are. He, he's scared to death that you'll get to know who God is. You'll really trust him on that thing. That one area where if you really trusted him, you'll walk out of here living unchained and living on purpose. He wants you in the prison of your mind. So if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, he wants you staying right there. But we know on the other side, if you walk through those things, there's going to be someone down the road who's struggling with suicide, and, and they're going to need your help. If you're struggling with addiction today, he wants you trapped in, that, in your mind in shame and guilt, stuck in that same cycle. He does not want you walking out of here seeing how God sees you, forgiven, loved, and yes, you've got a journey to go through, but knowing in our town, we just had so many overdoses on fentanyl. There's other people who are neighbors, co-workers. I just talked to someone yesterday who was at a funeral because someone OD. There's people all around saying they're going to need your help. They're going to need your love, not your judgment, your love and your care. Because you've been there. You can empathize. You know the struggle. There's going to be someone down the road who's struggling in their marriage. And you've struggled in your marriage, and they're, go they're going to need your help. It's, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. Don't give up. We want deliverance. And I give, and I want deliverance too. But I close with this. God wants surrender. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. John's Talking straight up, talk with Jesus. Saying, are you the one, man? Because I don't know. I'm dealing with a lot of stuff in my life, and I'm really struggling right now. Jesus is in the garden, about ready to fulfill his purpose on the cusp. He's crying out to God, screaming to God, saying, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, Surrender, but not my will, not what I want. I'll do what you want. I'll do it the way you orchestrated it. I'll follow you. This is, it's premature, Joel. This is what's going to change lives. When we fully trust, when we fully surrender, you got to nail that down between you and him, you and him. All right, can we stand? Can we pray?